Viewing life from a hearse, it could be worse. Laugh, think, and cry with the country undertaker. This is Bruce Goddard. I want to thank you all for continuing to listen to this View from a Hearse podcast. Believe it or not, this is episode number 25. Uh, with a few shorter bonus episodes added on that. The great thing about podcasts, you can go back and listen to episodes you miss whenever you desire. They're all streaming at a click of a mouse or smartphone. The feedback has been awesome, and the audience is growing. So thank you for making these stories a part of your life. This is much fun. This episode is about a small-town policeman who was killed in Reynolds, Georgia, almost 50 years ago. In the 170-year-old history of Taylor County, Georgia, only one police officer has ever been killed by a perpetrator during the performance of his duties. That happened in the early morning hours of January 6, 1973. William Isaac Wainwright, age 63, was killed when attempting to arrest a burglary suspect who had broken in a local store. I remember exactly where I was on the Reynolds Elementary Playground when I first heard the news that John Kennedy had been shot. I remember I was in an automobile on vacation out west with my family when we got the news a man had landed on the moon. I remember who I was talking to on September 11, 2001 on my office telephone when I saw the news on CNN that a plane had flown into the World Trade Center in New York City. I also remember exactly where I was when I got the news that William Wainwright had been killed. I walked out of my dorm, Millage Hall, at the University of Georgia late that Saturday morning and got in my 1964 push-button Plymouth to go find something to eat. As I turned the radio on, WRFC AM radio in Athens, And before I got out of the parking lot, I heard the announcer say, a Reynolds, Georgia policeman has been killed. I stopped in my tracks. I wasn't sure I heard it correctly, but I parked the car and went back in my room to call home. I had heard correctly. For me, it was like watching an episode of the Andy Griffith Show and enjoying all the funny little things that go on in Mayberry. And all of a sudden, Andy Taylor gets shot and killed in the middle of the episode. It was that shocking. It was that unbelievable. Reynolds was just a sleepy little southern town. For most of my life, when I was growing up, we only had two policemen. One was the chief, L.D. Gordon, who worked the day shift, and the other was a night policeman by the name of William Wainwright. There were other part-time officers who filled in the gaps. There was obviously not much crime going on in Reynolds. There was the occasional burglary which was done mostly by someone passing through town. When that happened, the backup for the police would come in the form of concerned citizens who would come to town to help out. The story you're about to hear is a story of a real hero. You'll find that he came from a very large family and raised another very large family. William worked at any place he could find work, and he worked hard, but feeding his family was not an easy task. Having big meals at Christmas time did not happen every year at William's house. In fact, such Christmas meals were rare. The Wainwright children remember a church group coming by one Christmas to leave fruit and a few toys for the kids. 
Although the kind act was appreciated, this was their formal notice that they were poor, or maybe for some, a reminder of it. Their parents surely never told them they were poor, so they never really thought they were. William and Agnes Wainwright instilled pride in their children. They taught them to respect others and to do the right thing, even if the respect and the right thing was not being reciprocated. In spite of the financial hardships, they also taught them to have a sense of humor. There was a lot of laughter in this Wainwright house, in spite of the circumstances. Although the children felt secure in their parents' love, it was more difficult for their daddy to cope. The pressure of feeding his family, or maybe it was the fact that their 10-year-old son was killed accidentally by a gun, took its toll. William's self-esteem began taking a hit. He tried to numb his pain by drinking. The drinking really got bad. The demons that came with that were stealing whatever self-esteem he had left until one Christmas. In one moment of decision, he quit drinking. He just stopped. His family didn't know how he did it, but they were very proud of him. And William's self-esteem slowly began to grow. After several years of sobriety, William was hired as a policeman in Reynolds. As the years began to go by, he became a fixture in Reynolds, a very respected and beloved fixture in Reynolds. Adults would confide in him about their kids. He helped a lot of kids along the way. The kids were very proud of their dad and could sense his pride because they knew he had stared down the demons that were trying to destroy him and won and was now passing on what he had learned. For 13 years, he publicly served the citizens of Reynolds until that fateful morning of January the 6th, 1973. In case you're wondering if the city of Reynolds appreciated his sacrifice, today the name of the street in Reynolds that runs in front of the city hall is called William Wainwright Street. There's also a plaque that hangs on the outside of the city hall in his memory. And the Wainwright children who are left are still proud of their daddy. This is his story. My guest is one of the two remaining surviving children of William Wainwright. Before I bring her on, I asked my brother Mac, who was one of the first people on the scene that night, to talk a little about what he remembers. So on January 6th, uh, 1973, my brother Mac was about a month before his 31st birthday. And he was an EMT, also obviously ran the funeral home with my dad, but he got a call uh, the night that William got shot. And I've got Mac on, and he's probably one of the few people around that's left that's got a firsthand account of what was going on that night. Well, I'll begin by saying, before I talk about my memory, that though William probably had his own set of problems, everybody in Reynolds really did like him. Was a likable fella, and after that night, the people's liking him, if if you will, increased because of what happened. I got the call, and I came to left my house on one twenty eight. Came to the old store, got the ambulance, and went around behind the store and shined the lights right on where William was in line beside the car. And it was dead. He was lying beside the police car, right? Yep. And what I remember 
right off the shoot was that he, the eerie feeling I had that came over me when I got there thinking this man had been murdered. <clears throat> to my knowledge, that's the first time a law enforcement officer had been murdered in Taylor County that I remembered anyway. And I was one of the few people there when I got there. But almost, it, it didn't seem like any time had passed before it appeared to me that all the state troopers within 100 miles was right there in that alley and, and behind the hospital and, of course, county deputies and everybody. And it turned out that Red Wyndham, who was also one of the deputies in the city, must have picked it up on his scanner. I'm not certain, but he, he knew that there was a robbery going on because of he either heard it on the scanner or William called him, I don't know, across the street from the uh, police station. And so William went over apparently to intervene and chase the guys in his car behind what was the Gulf filling station where he ultimately encountered these guys and was shot with his own weapon. Red Wyndham got there momentarily and shot and killed one of the two guys and the other one got away. And of course there was a huge manhunt trying to find this other guy. And I remember even later going back behind our store building, which was right adjacent to that, in that alley looking for anything that you might could find that he might've tossed or whatever. And to my knowledge, they never did find the other fellow. Do you know, Bruce, whether they no, did? I, I, I asked Margie that. Margie thought there was another person, but she didn't know. She said clothes were going in two different directions. I would imagine William was doing his checking. You know, he checked, checked the doors, and he probably saw somebody in there, and he startled them. That's how that came about. But, you know, Red got shot too. And so, yes, so, so Red had to come up right when that was going on for that guy to still be there. If he shot a policeman and he'd been gone, if it had been two minutes later, right? Yep. That's true. And then when all the law enforcement people arrived, which was very quick, I mean, it amazed me at how quick so many of them were there. We transported William. And I can't remember who was with me on the ambulance. I don't know if anybody, I don't remember, but anyway, I know we, took William to Samson Wiley Hospital and put him on the x-ray table in the hospital. And I vividly remember how upset Dr. Watley was that number one, he had been killed. And number two, I think Dr. Watley really liked William. He apparently checked on the hospital regularly and, and was um, helping him look after that kind of the security at the hospital, basically, but Dr. Wally was upset, and so was most everybody else at Reynolds. So somebody had to work on Red, I'm sure. <clears throat> was he walking around when you got there? Was he on the ground? Red, Red was not disabled, and I can't remember where he got shot. I think in the stomach, if I remember him telling me that, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I, I just don't remember for whatever reason. But anyway, I, then, of course, we had to wait till the coroner got there. Then we moved William to the funeral home. And again, I remember thinking when I got to the funeral home with him and got him on the embalming table, the eerie feeling I got again that whoever did this might be coming down to the funeral home. One of those strange feelings you get. It's, it was one of those things that you 
that startled the whole community, to tell you the truth, and everybody was talking about it. The funeral was a, a big funeral, and a lot of law enforcement people there. It was just one of those things that shook the community and shook the whole county. Yeah, uh, I described it earlier that it's like watching an episode of Andy of Mayberry and Andy and Barney, and then all of a sudden somebody gets murdered on it. it, it you what? That's not supposed to happen. It was that's the kind of reaction everybody had, right? There was no crime in in this little community. Well, Reynolds, as you well know, was pretty much a sleepy little town, and not a lot of crime went on in the first place. William was very uh, regular about going around checking businesses, checking the doors, be sure they locked. Reminded me of the old Western movie to see what the sheriff goes around and check the doors. But he did that and did it at our store also. And prior to this, uh, we had several people break at our store and William would hear something and he would call daddy and Daddy and George Brady and Hoot Russell would go up there with their shotguns across the street, but they never were able to catch anybody. That stopped when we put the ADT burglar alarm system on the store. But William was the one who went by the store every night, both the front and back, to check on things. But on that fateful night, it cost him his life. He tried to catch these two guys and did catch them. He went in his car and caught them and tried to apprehend them. And one of them with him, took his own gun from him and shot him several times and killed him. You know, I had several conversations <laughs> with Red Wyndham over the years about that. And I can't remember what he said, but what I do remember, neither one of these guys were afraid of the devil. They'd walk oh, right, true. I guarantee you, they were, William Wainwright didn't think nothing about trying to stop somebody that was no. younger and stronger and Red comes up I mean, they literally had a shootout. I mean, he shot him, and that guy, it was like a Western. They had a shootout, and it had to happen just about the same time William was getting killed because that guy would have been gone. Yeah, that, there's no question about it. Both William and Red were not scared of the devil himself. They would get in the middle of whatever might be going on. They weren't fearful. Yeah. And William caught those two guys. I can tell you right now, it never occurred to him that he was going to get shot. He was fixing to put them in the car and take them to the jail. Right. And I was, was saying <laughs> earlier that when he took on this job, they couldn't have been paying much. No. He didn't think he was signing up to get shot. I can tell you that. But again, oh. he did what he was supposed to do. The truth is he died a hero. Uh, he, he put his life on the line to protect whatever little bit of clothes was being stolen out of Braswell's store. Not to be remembered, that's for sure. I guess the things that stand out to me was when I first pulled up and saw the scene, just the sense of eeriness that came over me. This is a murder right here in Reynolds, Georgia. And a policeman that you knew. Yeah. Yeah, they knew him quite well. And then the, all the law enforcement that descended on Reynolds just was overwhelming. Still hard for me to comprehend how so many of them got there so quickly. And then going over to Sam's and Whiteley Hospital and putting him on that x-ray table that those of us who grew up in Reynolds were all very familiar with. All the conversation, I can't remember the, the words, but I remember all the a lot of conversation was going on about this while the law enforcement people were out there still trying to find out who this other purple was. You don't remember what was going on with Red at that moment? Oh, I, for some reason, I, I don't at all remember that. He obviously wasn't 
on the ground, you would have known that. And he was, he had to be, he had to be right there to shoot that guy. He couldn't have been far from him. As I think about it, and we're talking about it, there's a faint memory that he, we somehow got him over to the hospital first. I'm sure you would have. You would have. I don't know whether he was transported later to uh, Macon or someplace. I don't, because I don't remember. You said he got shot in the belly somewhere. I don't really remember where he got shot. Of course, I remember his family was shaken to the bone, as you know, and she, I remember going out there as we used to do. We'd go with a big kind of funeral, big, small, or whatever. We would line all the cars up, family cars at the house, and a lot of times we took the bodies home. And, but I don't remember whether we took William home or not. I just don't remember. It was... Uh, but I do know there were a lot of cars out there. I had to turn around that day and get headed in the right direction. Well, there's a lot of Wainwrights. You didn't ever go on a Wainwright funeral when you didn't have a lot of cars to line up. That's I can right. tell you that. I mean, that was a That's lot of sure. them. Right. Next January, it will be 50 years since that happened. So there's a reason everybody's got fuzzy memories. Uh, William was the first police officer and the only police officer that was killed by another's hand in the line of duty. There've been right. some accidents. There's been some of that, but nobody's been shot and killed since or before. It was a night to remember. That's for sure. Yeah. I've got with me my longtime friend Margie Wainwright Moore. I've known her all my life, and she is one of two living children of William Wainwright. And I want to be sure for two reasons that we tell this story. One is that, as I mentioned earlier, in the 170-year history of Taylor County, her dad was the only law enforcement officer that was ever shot and killed while on duty. And secondly, for this family, I want to preserve this story because there's not many people left that have a firsthand account in that family of really what happened and what was going on behind the scenes. So Margie, let's start by talking about you. I know you and Gerald been married a long time. We've been married almost 54 years. He he robbed the cradle, Bruce. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> we we got married um in 65 uh, right out of high school and uh then we had three children. Of course, Gerald was in the Marine Corps. I followed him around while he was in the States. Uh, you know, the Marine Corps don't let your spouse go overseas with you because it costs too much. Right. It's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> was Gerald here when your dad got shot or was he in service? Yes, he was. They were still holding us captive in Cherry Point, North Carolina when that happened. Okay, so you were not even here. Okay. So I didn't realize that. So you no. were you were in North Carolina when you when when right. that happened. We were in Cherry Point. So the other thing I want to be sure everybody understands is there's a lot of Wainwrights. You got a huge family. Your dad had I think seven siblings maybe, were the eight of them or nine? I know there was a uh, bunch of them. He had 10 siblings, believe ten. it or not. So there, were, there was 11 total or 10 total? Well, <clears throat> there was a set of triplets in there that di- didn't live. Okay. So okay. They lived just days and weeks. Yeah. Uh, he had five brothers. He was married to Ollie Turner. Right. And they had Claudia, Jack, Julius, Aiden, Andrew, 
Ida and Eunice, and then the triplets. Now, Ida died during the Spanish flu oh, really? pandemic. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, and, uh, I can tell you, as, as an undertaker, when I went out to have a funeral for the Wainwrights, I had a lot of cars to line up. <laughs> and the other thing, that's not a church in the county that would hold the family. You couldn't, if people came to a Wainwright funeral, you couldn't get a seat because the church would fill up with Wainwrights. I mean, you couldn't get them all in there. That's true. That's right. It was a huge that's family, and I, I knew just about every one of them. Your, your mama... Miss Agnes was a special lady, and I knew her well. I can I can remember going out to Turner's Chapel years ago. They'd get me to speak every now and then, and I remember her standing up. They'd have during the prayer time. Miss Agnes would say, "I want all praying people. If you're a praying person, to pray." You remember her saying that to pray for so and so. That was yeah. it. Would always tickle me. In other words, if you're not a praying person, I care less if you pray or not. <laughs> but, and and her sister, Miss Alice. Coggins. Oh, <laughs> that was she was one of a kind. I, so I just tell you this story real quick, just to I want people to understand my connection to this family. But Miss Alice was in the nursing home, as you know, for years, yeah. and she prepaid her funeral. And Miss Alice <laughs> never could understand that I didn't have that money in a drawer over there. I mean, I, you put that it was invested, but I couldn't explain that to her. But she would call me and said, "Bruce, I need fifteen dollars of my money." I said, "Okay." So I would just drive up there, and I'd give her fifteen dollars out of my pocket. I would, I kept up with it, and I had a, I've had about three pages where she'd pay me back money. I'd give her money, and I told Jenny, her daughter, what was going on, and she said, "You don't have to do that." No, I don't mind. So when she died, I had these two, three pages of twenty dollars here. I mean, no funeral home in the world has ever had such of arrangement as I was doing, but. There's no way she could understand it. So if she needed money, I'd go take it to her. And she didn't want Jenny to know it. You know, don't tell her I'm getting this money. No, ma'am, I won't. But I'd take her money out of my pocket, and then she'd pay me back. And whatever the difference was when she died, we worked it out. But I know that's pro- that's not legal in the funeral business, but that's what we were doing. She was a character, and your, your mother was a character. So the other thing that's interesting, that side of the family, your m- mother's side of the family, is related to my wife's family, your they they right. were they were Wyndhams and they were first cousins of my wife's grandfather. So my mother in law and you were second cousins. Talk about growing up. How many siblings do you have? Let's talk about your siblings. So you've got one living. Mabel's still living, and they had five boys actually, and and three girls. Now we lost a girl at birth. She died shortly after she was born. Pete, you didn't you didn't know him. Uh, his name was Alton. We, they called him Pete, but he died in a gun with a gunshot wound also when he was 10 years old. And I know that must have been just Awful. devastating to both of them. Oh, my. It was an accident, of course. You have a huge family yourself with that many people to raise. I'm sure that it was it, your life was interesting. You look back, your life is a lot different now than it was growing up, right? I mean, yes, obviously, you got anything so. you want, and back then. You had to scrub to figure out what y'all were going to eat, I'm sure, with that yeah. many people, right? You know, Bruce, we did. But Daddy was a hard-working man. He worked hard at home, and he worked hard on whatever little job he could find to do. He worked with the CCC. I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah, I think you are, yeah. That Roosevelt started right, that. Right, And uh it it helped. He Daddy was always a Roosevelt fan because he felt like he saved it, he saved us by creating these jobs. He worked with the 
and I don't know what this was, the sawmill. I guess they cut boards. He worked at, he called it the turpentine steel. Okay. I, I don't I don't know what that was. I hope it was legal. <laughs> I'm sure it was. <laughs> anyway, uh and at home they always had a garden and a big garden and we put up vegetables and stuff and that got us through the winter. I didn't know we were poor. We just were. You know, we just didn't have much. And I didn't really know that one Christmas. And, and they meant well. Some group came and brought us some a bunch of fruit and a bunch of toys, not a bunch, but a few toys, and things like that. And I realized after that that, hey, I'm different. I'm poor. But we wasn't because just about everybody else we knew was. They came from such huge families, and then you've yeah. got this huge family, and it's uh-huh. just the way it was. And you're right, because of the love that your parents Oh, yeah. They instill a pride in us, the things that count. You don't, well, the golden rule and the Ten Commandments, you respect your elders, you respect your teachers and all of that. Well, I can tell you from my vantage point, you were very rich. And I knew you guys pretty well, as good as anybody, because I was in and out of there as a kid, even as a kid. uh, I don't know how many funerals I've had at Turner's Chapel growing up. You remember Brother Stroop? Yes, I do. You know, he, I he called, always hugged you, didn't he? He kissed you. He kissed you. <laughs> he kissed. I was like 14 years old one time on the steps of the old church out there. I think Daddy was bringing the family, and I was at the church working. I don't know who else was there, but I was a kid. And I saw him walking up with the Bible, and I was waiting on the preacher. I said, well, thank goodness, here comes the preacher. And he came up, and I thought he was going to whisper something in my ear. And as soon as he got up to my ear, so I turned, he kissed me right in the mouth. <laughs> And every, that always drove Gerald crazy. And everybody was <laughs> staring at me, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I'll never forget that. But, yeah, I've got so many memories out there, and i got so many memories of your family. And I also got a lot of memories of your dad as a kid growing up in rental. So let's talk about how did he get in the policeman business? Well, a lot of people don't know this, Bruce. Daddy had a problem with alcohol as Life went on and more problems arrived. It seemed like he got worse or maybe the alcohol just treated his body worse. One Christmas, and this is the truth, okay. <laughs> I promise you. Okay. One Christmas, we uh, we happened to have a ham and a turkey. And Mama cooked it and fixed all the trimmings that she had. And we enjoyed Christmas that year, food-wise. After Christmas was over, Daddy Daddy had been binging. He wanted some ham and turkey. And I said, y'all fool, you ate it. <laughs> We've been eating it for two weeks. Yeah, he didn't remember it, right? <laughs> he, he didn't remember that. So he says, well, hell, <laughs> it's time for me to leave this stuff alone. And you know what? He didn't. He didn't drink anymore. He quit cold turkey. Right after that Christmas. Right after that that Christmas, yes. Really? I know that it had to have been so hard, but he didn't let us know how hard it was. He didn't go to to AA or nothing. He just quit, right? Isn't that amazing? No, he just didn't do that in in those days. That would be admitting you've got a problem. We're going to admit that. So with that going on, tell me how, how the police thing came about. Well, I'm sure he applied for other jobs. They hired him. That was probably L.D. Gordon, right, in Reynolds that he talked to? 
That Policeman? Probably. Yeah. Probably. He worked with LD a long time, and I think that that's, I think he was already there. He started working, and he liked it. It seemed to give him some pride about himself that I didn't see before. You can clear this up, but what my memory is, especially in the early 60s or mid-60s, this happened in 73, so it happened later, but he was there a dozen or so years, I'm sure, before that happened. He'd been, But he was the night policeman, and LD was the day policeman. It's not like we had a police force. We had a, we had a day policeman, LD, and, and Mr. William was the night policeman. And he used to go around, and one of his jobs is to shake all the doors to be sure the doors locked. you remember that? Yeah. He was, had trained a, a dog that he took to work with him to uh, stay. Daddy would lay a walking stick down and, and Shotzi or whatever her name was would sit there. He would go through the alley and then he would go back and let the dog go. Yeah. He sat in a chair up there. So it was almost like Mayberry. Had his hat down and my, my buddy yeah. my buddy Donald Powell, who you know was in my grade, he was the postmaster for years later, but yeah. He would get in trouble. He would he would sneak out of his house. They had a two-story house over there not far from the city right. hall, and he would slide down the TV antenna and go up and sit with Mr. William about all night, and he'd climb that pole and be back into bed when his mama <laughs> woke him up to go to school. So I remember yeah. as a kid one day, and it had to be late in the afternoon. It probably wasn't at night. I was having my bicycle up there, and I stopped to see Mr. William, and I in the conversation, I think somebody was with me, but I don't know who, but a mosquito bit me, and I slapped the mosquito. And Mr. William told me, he said, he said, son, you don't have to slap a mosquito and kill him if he bites you, because if he bites you, he's going to die anyway. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but I remember vividly him telling me that. I can tell you that. The incredible thing, Reynolds was like Mayberry. There was no crime. There was very little of anything ever happened, but they were yeah. just really there to make sure that the sky didn't fall, I think, right? I mean, it was, wasn't yeah. like you had to be too nervous when he went to work at night that something was going to happen, yeah. right? That's right. Uh, the night that Daddy was killed, there was another officer uh, on the job. He, had, he was somewhere else, you know, when this chase ensued. Mr. Wyndham was on duty with yeah. Daddy. So I think that's what I was going to ask you because I think it used to be just at some point that's Red Wyndham, and I think yeah. he worked part time. He, I know he may have been full time then, but I know as this played out, he was involved in this. So I obviously knew Red Wyndham well. So let's talk about that night. I'm sure you've got knowledge at this point of what went on. So he was there doing his duties, and he realized that he saw somebody breaking in a business across the street from the city hall, actually, yes. right? You remember which a store clothing, that was? A clothing store, actually. Braswell's? And I believe it was Braswell's. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. And after that, I really don't know what happened. I understand he, he I think he may have run him on foot for a little while because there were clothes scattered on the sidewalk. Of course, all of this was told to me now. Then maybe he got in the car, in the police car, and chased him. I've heard it said that there were clothes scattered in two different directions, and they wondered if there was maybe another person involved with the robbery. Daddy chased him then in the car. The, guy, the robber was on foot, and Daddy was in the car. 
he evidently caught up with him and was uh, trying to put him in the squad car. The guy took daddy's gun and shot daddy. Right. And, and, and shot, him, shot. shot him multiple times, if I remember right. I, and yeah. so what I think happened I and mean, what I understand is evidently as soon as he realized that somebody was robbing or burglarizing the store, he probably called on the radio to Red Wyndham because whoever shot your dad also shot Red Wyndham. And Red Wyndham came up with his own gun and got shot as he shot and killed the guy that was uh, that had killed your dad, right? I mean, they were right, right. there almost next to each other. And right. In my understanding, he was all – he was. It's like he was trying to get back in his car, your dad was, or he was trying to get out of his car. I don't know which. I mean, he was close to the car, yeah. right? So yeah. now let's talk about a little personal. You were in North Carolina. How did you find out about that? Tell me what, how did you get the news that that had happened? Well, Mabel called, called me. Uh, somebody else may have called Gerald first. It's kind of a blur. Mabel called me and she was, you know, out of her head pretty much told me what had happened we had gerald and i were up late that night we we usually went to bed earlier but we had played cards until probably midnight so our guest had already left when mabel called of course we got everything together and and headed towards Reynolds. your dad was instrumental in making sure that gerald's leave was covered when he talked to the Red Cross. Yeah, Daddy was the chairman of the Red Cross for years, and he used to help a lot of people do yeah. that. Yeah. And as I remember, your daddy talked to me too, and it, it was just a crazy night, you know. Yeah, that's the thing um, about these small towns. It's lot. It's not like Daddy was a stranger to y'all. Shooting a policeman back then, especially in a sleepy little town, was unheard right. of. It was unheard of, and yet now we see it all the time, and. We don't see it in Taylor County all the time, but we see it everywhere else. But it was unheard of, and it was a major, major deal uh, for sure. Right, right. So, And people were so good to respond to it. You know, I mean, we just got, I can't even know, probably thousands of people talking to us and assuring us that Daddy was uh, a good man and he had done all he could. He died a hero, Margie. He's, yeah. he's doing this job. Couldn't been get paid much. Right. He sees somebody. He could have just said, tell somebody this happened. He went to try to stop it. You know, he wasn't but 63 years old. When I was little, I was thinking he was much older, but he really yeah. wasn't old at all. But, no, he wasn't. But he went and tried to do something about it. You know, if you think about it, that wasn't in his job description to get shot. He wasn't thinking about no. that when he, when he took on that job. That's for sure. <laughs> How did all that impact all of y'all. I mean, you got this huge family that you just talked about, but it wasn't easy growing up. And now your dad, who who had had issues and now had gotten past the issues, was so well thought of. I mean, Mm -hmm. and people loved your dad. Certainly people, especially people around Reynolds loved him because he was so laid back. He was easygoing. He just became part of that community down there when he became a policeman. He was Andy Taylor. He was. And so, so how did that impact you guys you know i remember ray and tom being bitter being real bitter not to the point of 
doing anything illegal or anything like that but they were just they were so bitter mama was just hurt and we were worried about her financial well-being of course sure uh, one of the insurances paid you know helped her monthly for a while workman's comp i think ray actually applied to the state for help for mama it just so happened right at that time a bill had been passed to pay policemen that had died in the line of duty, give them a certain amount. And so they did. And mama was able to pay off her house. You know, they had, they'd been in that house a couple of years. That was their dream. A brick house. I know, right. I know right where, where it was. I can tell you that. Yeah. It's still there. (laughs) Yeah. We didn't want her to lose it. So that was her fear that she was going to lose her house that she finally got in. I'm sure it was. She didn't voice that to me, but I'm sure that she thought about it. She she managed after that. No, nothing extra, but she was able to buy our medicine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. She eventually got over it somewhat. You don't ever get over something like that, but she came to terms, I think, with it. You really don't have a choice, do you? You can come to terms with it, or you can be sick and die yourself. The human spirit is incredible. Yeah. Somehow oh, or another, yeah. you figure out how to, how to keep it going. And so, she did have Nell and Alice and Lewis. Yeah, her, her, her siblings, yeah. <laughs> they kept her busy. Yeah. And I know Miss Alice kept her laughing for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, yeah. For sure. So is this something that you really haven't talked about much in the family? And talk a little bit about that. Just skirt on it. We don't really discuss it. Mabel and I probably have more than more than any of us. Mama just didn't seem to want to talk about it, so we didn't press that. What year did your mom die? Do you remember? 93, I believe. Okay, so she lived another 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. She was a little dirt dauber. <laughs> yeah, she was a sport. I, I loved her. I'll tell you that. She was a special, special lady. Why do you think it would be important to, to talk about it now? My children and their children and even future children won't know this story if we don't tell it. And I think that that, that it's important for them to know, even, even though the time that they live in is probably more meanness that goes on. But still, they need to know that it wasn't always like that. This was just one of the incidences that started all of this. Well, I said at the beginning that I know where I was when the man walked on the moon. I knew where I was when... Kennedy got shot, and I knew I, where I was when 9-11 happened, and I, and I knew right where I was when William Wainwright got shot in Reynolds, Georgia. I mean, that's one of those things that I'll never forget. So it was a big deal. It was a big deal to people, yeah. to people in our county. Knock on wood, but it's never happened before or since in our town. And, you know, yeah. who knows? It could happen before we get through with this, right. this, this conversation. Daddy was, he was such a hardworking man. He, uh, at home, you know, like I mentioned, we had a garden always. And one thing I remember is the hog killings we had. Uh, you should have been there, Bruce. You really should have. Uh, it was like, I mean, like you planned this day, we're going to have a hog killing tomorrow. And all day that day, you're preparing your knives, your which hogs you're going to slaughter, and make sure you have plenty of water for the barrels and everything. Of course, 
I didn't. I just kind of stayed out of the way, so I wouldn't have to do anything. But the <laughs> the brothers, you know, and Mama, they they everybody was in on it. And then Daddy's, what which of his brothers could come? They came, and they would help. You know, you gotta get the sausage just right. You've got to uh, put the right amount, and you know, so you sample it. <laughs> you cook it and sample it. Then there's a uh, hog chitlins. It was just a... A lot of people listening to this have, have never eaten chitlins and probably never heard of them. Well, I've tasted them. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't eat chitlins, but my family, my daddy and brother did. I can tell you that. They, they used to eat them. They used to have yeah. at least once a year, they'd have a chitlin. I cook it. <laughs> Hallie Mae Gallman would cook them. Out and, and oh, really? Eat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So tell me this. I mean, again, you're, the picture of this, just a laid-back guy, country guy, hog killings, living in the country, became a policeman, which changed his life a little bit, working down there, became so beloved in rentals, for sure. And then you had to have, although the grief and the hurt, and you went through all that, there has to be, as you look back, a sense of pride in in, right. in your dad, right? I mean, isn't that right. part of what yes. the message is? Yes, and I think that he was proud of himself. He had accomplished a lot. He'd overcome a lot. Anybody that's been around an alcoholic knows some of what they go through. It was not an easy thing. But I think one thing that probably surprised even him, if he got a chance to sit down and think about it, is how the people of Reynolds became really dear to him. He worked with teenagers a lot. You talked about um, going by and visiting him. That wasn't uncommon, especially on like Friday nights. Your girlfriend had to be home at 10 o'clock, but you didn't have to be home then. Go hang out with Mr. William. The Powell boys all did, I think. Yeah. He worked with, I, I guess he got into it through some of the parents, but he, 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 he didn't have much of an a really an education but he had he was a very smart man he had a, a he ton had of common sense talents. yeah he had yeah. a lot of talent there's no question daddy some children some of the boys especially boys had problems with uh, drugs and i'm sure that the parents confided in daddy about this and he he did a lot with those kids there wasn't a lot of them but i mean right. you know he would kind of counsel with him right. although he probably didn't even know what the word counsel meant right but, but he was helping uh, them he was helping them yeah he was he helped them and i think he was well respected for that yeah there's no question there's no question he couldn't do nothing with me and tom so he moved <laughs> <laughs> we didn't do drugs but we probably did a little of everything else i hear you <laughs> what do you remember about the funeral uh i remember there was a huge crowd out, spilled out into the yard. At Turner's Chapel, right? At Turner's Chapel, yeah. at the church before the one we're in now. And one thing that I remember especially is how many police officers and law enforcement there were there. Gerald remembered this. I had forgotten it, but a lot of those police officers had prisoners with them, people that they got out of jail and brought to the funeral. At their request, they wanted to come to Daddy's funeral, and that just touched me. 
That's unbelievable. I was not there because I was in college. It was Nathan's kicking up your heels. Yeah. What people don't realize is how important it is to go support somebody. And when you're going through that and knowing your daddy's story and knowing that what had happened, he died suddenly and really a hero, to see that many people coming out and supporting and loving y'all, realizing the impact your dad had had on so many people had to mean a lot to all of you, right? Right. And we we got a lot of stories out of it. I mean, everybody had a different story about Mr. William. Oh, I'm sure. So when you hear now, you got people that are saying defund the police. And how does that make you feel knowing that your daddy sacrificed his life being a policeman? It's really sad to me that we've come to this stage that it's even necessary to, to debate it. You know, right's right and wrong's wrong. And the law enforcement side of it is certainly not 100% right all the time. But if we didn't have the police, the law enforcement, what would this world be? As bad as it is with some help, what would it be without? When I hear of a new case, something like this on the news, it really hurts. I try to think of it case by case. If I've, I really have to work hard on my being judgmental, not just because of daddy, but because of so much that goes on now. When you look back, your life, and you, everybody's kind of heard it, the way you grew up, very simple. You guys have made a great life. Gerald runs a refrigeration company on it and has for years, and your son runs it, I guess, now, right? And you, you guys have done very well. You've done very well. You look back on life and what you went through, even growing up. I know you appreciate it, but it's a lot different than your kids grew up for sure, right? And then, yes. And then, the fact that what happened to your dad. What have you learned about life? Whatever you got, you need to deal with it. You got what you got. Now, I just think I'm blessed and always have been. We were always taught respect. We we respected our elders and we saw their struggles. Uh, it wasn't something that we thought about every day or talked about. Looking back, I realize even more how much how much they struggled. I try not to be judgmental about people. We've grown up through through a lot of changes in life, how people are treated, how they're respected. They don't know to even think about some of the things we went through. I've learned that life's not always fair. You're not always dealt a winning hand. You can make lemonade out of those bitter lemons. I've learned there's a lot of wisdom in God's word. I've heard you speak on the Bible, Bruce, and I know that you believe that too. And God placed us in this world, I think, to help others. What a legacy and what a wonderful family. There was a lot of Wainwrights and a lot of characters and a lot of great people, (laughs) but your daddy, he is in the history books of Taylor County for several reasons and one is that he gave his life protecting that little town and I think everybody that grew up there owes him gratitude. The Wainwright family has been very good to our family. You guys in the funeral business or the grocery business, furniture business or whatever, you would pass by other businesses to come to us. I have a lot of love for all of you, I can tell you that. Well thank you and you as well. 
Viewing life from a hearse, it could be worse. Laugh, think, and cry with the country undertaker.